0: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting
1: adults. From research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. How are you, Lindsay? I'm good. I'm glad the sun is shining and we're warming up to the 60s, so that certainly helps. Yeah, the situation. we're
0: finally feeling like spring here, which is definitely appreciated.
1: I think, um, you know, over the last, probably two days our grass has started to green and and hopefully we'll get some trees budding soon but that kind of new life and rebirth is is helpful I think during this
0: time to to change your outlook it is and just being able to get outside without so many layers on is sure helpful to to feel the sun and yeah definitely we're fortunate to have Dr. Stephanie Hannish joining us today she is a child and adolescent psychiatrist and we invited her to join us because we felt it would be important to address the emotional um, and mental health aspects of the pandemic and living in a pandemic.
1: Right. She um, grew up in South Africa and completed um, her medical school at the University of Pretoria in South Africa um, and then moved to um Texas and actually completed her fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas.
0: And she's been living in Fargo for some time. She's been at Sanford Health from 2007 until now. So we're fortunate to know her and to have her as our guest today.
1: We're so happy to have with us uh, Dr. Stephanie Hännish to help us kind of navigate the emotional, um, mental aspect of this uh, current pandemic.
2: So welcome and thank you for being with us today. Well, thanks both of you. I am so thrilled to be here and um, thanks for asking me. I think uh, being a child psychiatrist has made me aware how important all of the family is in in this particular situation. Um, Just a little bit of background about myself. I'm a Child and adolescent psychiatrist, and I've been practicing for um, almost 15 years. Uh, I was born and raised in South Africa, but did my training in Houston, Texas, at Baylor College of Medicine. I have two boys, aged 11 and 13, so I'm experiencing some of this firsthand in my own household and family. And. um, Yeah, one of my favorite things to do is to travel with my family, my husband and my boys, and none of that's happening right now. So that's been a little tricky. I also enjoy running, which fortunately I've still been able to do.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, We truly appreciate it. And to our listeners, so this week we're diverging a little bit from our normal because we're talking a little more about kids and youth and we think this is really important right now just because obviously with the quarantine um, youth have been suffering too and we're seeing more anxiety and other symptoms of this and so we wanted to bring Dr. Hanish in to really uh, teach us about what what's going on with the kids with our kids and Um, what we can do to help them through this too
2: yeah thanks very much i just wanted to begin by saying um, that anxiety under these circumstances is completely normal and i don't mean to pathologize any of it just because our kids or we ourselves are anxious doesn't mean that we necessarily need to make an appointment with a psychiatrist or a psychologist this pandemic i think has um has illustrated how, how difficult it is the two things that are hard for anybody to tolerate are uncertainty and isolation. And those are two things that are so on the forefront of our minds right now. And uh, it's important when we're working, when I'm working with kids to address those as best as I can. Um, the other thing in the context of uh, myself being a provider and a psychiatrist that works with children, children cannot be separated from the families that they um, live in. Um, The experience of a child is so dependent on the experience that they have within their family. And of course, that differs hugely. Some kids have their parents living and working at home and are completely safe and might even enjoy being home for a time. And others uh, may have lost a loved one or have a family member who is on the forefront of this crisis and is working on the front lines. Um, so so experiences that children have and families have, of course, vary widely, in addition to which we are living in an area where we're relatively unaffected compared to some areas in the country, such as New York City or other big cities. So, But nonetheless, there are many families and children who are really struggling right now, and um, hopefully I can be somewhat helpful in helping um your patients and families deal with that
0: yeah so can you start out by talking about how do we even bring this up with kids you know it's it's a big topic and maybe we're noticing some stress or anxiety what what do you do to even start that conversation about where they're at yeah
2: that's a really good question and What's important to think about is that kids, of course, a preschooler is at a very different place developmentally than a thirteen or even fifteen or seventeen-year-old. So whatever we do in talking to kids has to be developmentally appropriate. So speak to them in in ways that they can understand. And if you have a child of that age in your house, you you'll know what they what they can um, understand and what they can't. Always. Uh, Try to provide an environment that is open, um, but never force a child to talk about something when they're not ready, um, because that just um, doesn't really lead them to being honest about things. One way to think about it, or, or one thing to do, is to begin by saying, what do you know? Who do you, who do you talk to about this? What have you heard from your friends? Um, what do you know about the virus and, and how to stay safe um, from that? Um, I have my 11 year old will generally not act as if he's worried about this at all. But when I'm on a run and he's cycling with me, that's the one time that he will start talking about mom, um, how many people are in the hospital or how sick are people getting or how many people have died in the States. And so that's my opportunity to talk to my 11 year old about the virus and for each family and each child that might be different. So you really have to be flexible about that. The other important thing when talking about kid, talking to kids is is whatever they say to, to acknowledge and to validate their feelings, whatever those may be. And acknowledging that this is anxiety provoking for everybody, and that you too, as a parent, are struggling, is oftentimes more helpful than trying to suppress your emotions. There was a recent study that suggested if if parents are suppressing their anxiety and their stress, kids kids actually respond both physiologically and emotionally to it much more so than if their parents were um, showing some emotion. So there's a fine line. We obviously want to manage our own stress, but also not be dishonest or falsely reassuring to our kids. So setting that that environment for them to Approach it at their own level is is always important.
1: And I wonder in what ways, and this is hard too, because all ages are different, but how we might see anxiety differently in in children, because I know um, they're not going to say, I'm
2: anxious about this problem. So what can we look for? Right. And that, that depends very much on the age. And the way we think about kids is typically in the three big chunks of ages. Um, preschoolers and then school age although or, or latency, 6 to 12 maybe, and then adolescents, 13 to 17 or 18-year-olds. In, in very young preschoolers, oftentimes um, the best, they don't understand, they don't have the capacity, nor do they need to know about much of what's going on. Um, we will often see regression in that age group. So kids who were previously potty trained um, may may no longer be able to be potty trained or might have accidents. Uh, They could have a fear of being alone. They might not want to uh, sleep in their own beds anymore. And and so for that age group, there's probably not very much talk going on. And it's, it's other symptoms that you see, generally reverting back to earlier ages. Right. And for that group, the, the most helpful thing to do is really just to be patient and tolerant and um, maintaining routine and structure, um having calming activities before bedtime, um and also even allowing changes in sleep arrangements temporarily if the child is fearful of sleeping alone we'll let them sleep in the parents' bedroom for a for a time. Older school age kids, as with the younger ones is true too, we see more irritability, more whining, temper tantrums. It it oftentimes comes out in behaviors. School age children too. Sometimes they will talk about being anxious, but more often they will they will be irritable and Um, not as patient with anybody. They will um, also sometimes withdraw from the family, want to not be part of anything. Physical symptoms are quite common for kids too. They have headaches, stomach aches, and this is true too for adolescents. So uh, they could be forgetful too, not, not being able to remember things that they learned in school or schoolwork might be a little harder for them. Of course, with a different setting now, it's hard. Um, to know what that's caused by. and and adolescents are much better able to talk about their fear and their anxiety, but not may not always be willing to do that. Um, they too might just be emotional and uh, be tearful or, or just irritable and angry, and also have um, physical symptoms. So you're absolutely right. They don't always say that and and oftentimes don't come up to you and say, "I'm anxious or I'm fearful." But modeling behavior and, and being open to talking about some of your own fears in a in a limited way can set the stage for your kids to be more open about that.
1: I'll say I have an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old, and my 8-year-old um, has had troubles falling asleep. Um, so I've had to stay with her a lot longer to try to get her to sleep, and and that's the time she's talked about her fears I think because she's in in a family where we're medical and so she hears things she knows that it's worse for um, older people so she talks about her fear for her grandparents mm-hmm. and her great grandma and she you know she just worries about them dying um, from this and so um i don't really know how to to talk to her about that because i don't want to lie that it's Because that's true. They are at higher risk and there is the potential that they could. So it's um, I haven't really known how to quite navigate her fear for her grandparents.
2: And there is no right or wrong way to do that. And there certainly is no simple answer to that, because you're absolutely right. We should reassure, but not but not overly so. And and you have to be truthful. Eight-year-olds in that age group is very typical for them to personalize. They do worry for their older relatives and friends. Um, what seems to be most helpful in that age group is, again, just to acknowledge um, their feelings and say, yep, this is really scary and, and I'm afraid too. And sometimes just sitting with that anxiety or fear with a trusted adult and, and giving it space to just be in the room with you allows it to dissipate a little and not become this bottled up, unspoken, um, taboo topic. There's, we certainly don't want to reassure falsely. We don't want to reassure too much because kids are smart too. If we're constantly telling them that everything's okay, we're clearly signaling that we are very fearful and anxious ourselves. But just... Acknowledging the eight-year-old's feelings and say, "Yeah, this is this is pretty scary, and and I worry too." And then focusing on what we can do, how you can keep in touch with grandma and grandpa via Zoom or whatever virtual um, format you please, and, and how you're helping them by by doing your part with social distancing and hand washing and. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the key for for a lot of both kids and adults is control the things that you have control over your routine, what you do to stay safe, how you clean your home, sanitize things without it becoming the complete center of your universe.
0: I really I like that idea of, you know, sitting with that anxiety for a while. And I had read something that talked about for adults, you know, inviting that fear, that anxiety in maybe for you know, five minutes or sometimes it's going to be 30 minutes, but not letting it stay, right? So allowing it that time and then shifting that focus, like you said, to what you can do or how you can, how you can, you know, make, make things better.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: What about, you know, I think for, as we get into like adolescents, they're more active. um, Their social network is much more important for them than potentially younger kids. How do we help manage that age group, with all their feelings and emotions, and just um, you know their their need to communicate with their friends and engage with their friends.
2: That's a that's in my practice, in my experience, the adolescents have been the the hardest ones to um, to engage in this, and and I do try to engage them by really educating them about why this is important most adolescents can be are very em- empathic and altruistic once they understand the reason for for the actions or what the ask is by society unfortunately many of them have gotten the um, the message that this virus is no worse than a cold and if you're a young person you're unlikely to really get very sick from it and so they think it's not a big deal but but once it's explained to them that this is not about them getting sick, but about their grandparents and their parents and uh, other vulnerable folks in the community, then I, I see them being a little more receptive to that. Developmentally, they are hardwired to think that they are invincible and that nothing bad will happen to them. But if it's for a greater good, then then they tend to be a little more receptive to that. It's been interesting in my practice because as much as um, the teenagers that I see spend their lives on social media and on devices and on the internet, um, they still do now more than ever. I think it's one of those: if you cannot get it, you absolutely want it. They want to spend time with their friends, um, and and so sometimes I, I think we have to really educate, but also try and set set limits and tell them that you cannot just go walking with your friends or, or biking or driving with them. Um, And, and for the most part, they seem to respond uh, quite well to that approach. The, The approach that's, that goes to this is, this is bigger than you. This is for society. This is for our families rather than for you. Yes, you're right. You may not get very sick if you catch this virus, but you might take it home or your friend might take it home to their grandparents and, and the life. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: What are some ways I know you talked about running and I think for me, um, I do exercise too, to help deal with my, my stress and emotion and mm-hmm. what are ways we can help, um, help our kids through that, The healthy way to deal with their right. emotions. Right.
2: And we are we are fortunate in this part of the country where we are allowed to go out and most of us have access to at least streets and sidewalks that aren't overrun with people. Um, I just noticed that the the playgrounds are closed for good reason, but but we can still walk and run and bike. Um, I try because that's the way I handle things to encourage exercise, but I to also understand that it's it's hard under normal circumstances, to get kids to be active. And, and now where they're being told to be inside and stay away from people, it, it's even harder. There are, there are all kinds of um, resources online and um, ways that you as a parent can engage kids in doing um, some, some yoga classes or some relaxation, some stretching. Everything is virtual these days but it does require a lot of work and discipline by the parents to engage the kids in it. Because if you have a child who doesn't typically like to be outside and play and exercise, trying to get them to start doing that now by themselves is in my experience has been near impossible to do. Um, but again, taking the kids lead on this and, and maybe uh, encouraging them to learn a new craft or to do um learn a game together that they haven't done before. It takes, a, it takes a lot of creativity and a lot of time and effort by parents to engage in kids. Um, but by modeling some of that ourselves, I think we can go a long way.
0: I was just going to ask you what the role, what the value of role modeling is, you know, from parents, if that's a helpful strategy or, you know, how how much of an impact that will have on kids' behavior.
2: Yeah, and I probably don't even tell my families this enough, but it's it's clearly the case that it's not do as I say, it's do as I do. Kids will always look to their parents and observe their behaviors, um, much more so than they will respond to a parent who never gets off the couch to say, go outside and play. Um, so modeling anything from washing your hands regularly and sneezing into your elbow to... Um, observing a regular bedtime routine, making that a priority, not having your phone by your bedside, not having the TV on before you go to bed, all of these things that are basics to good sleep hygiene and a good regular schedule. But if we don't model that as adults, it, it's near impossible for kids to do that. And rightly so. Why should they be held to a higher standard than we are um, And this is where I think as adult physicians, you come into the picture because of how dependent kids are on their families, unless the adults are in a place and physically and emotionally well enough to, to model that behavior and to do those things with their children, the the kids are going to struggle even more than they ordinarily would. I think,
1: um, what, I think one of all of our good friends, Dr. Jennifer Rom gave me some good advice, uh, couple weeks ago just telling about her own experience where she has decided to set some goals and I thought I hadn't thought about that yet I was still in the middle of coming home and just reading all I could about COVID and the infection and so I was spending a lot of time in the pandemic mode And, um, it wasn't until she said that, that I did decide, you know, yes, I should set some goals. What do I want to do in this time? That's different where I have time to to do some other things. And so I had done that a week ago and last night I decided to try to broach the subject with my kids about, (laughs) would they have some goals of things that they might want to accomplish at this time?
2: And I don't know how receptive they were to that, but I don't know if you have thoughts on that. <laughs> well, I, that's in in my home. The goals for my kids really is that they keep up with their schoolwork, that we get them outside <laughs> regularly, and and that we stay on track and sleeping. And So um, I have made myself some goals to spend more time doing puzzles with them. And um, goals are are of course always good. And and as adults who are perhaps less in the moment and worry more about things both in the future and in the past, goals are a really good idea. And if you have goals that you can include the kids in, I think that would be even better we have set ourselves a goal as a family well mostly me but the kids are are somewhat moving along we've started some seeds in the basement and we'll be planting a a bigger vegetable patch than we typically do and that's something that they can be excited about and involved in so they're watching the little seedlings sprout um so i think if the goal is a family goal then yes that's a really good idea but expecting the kids to come up with goals for themselves um depending on how motivated the child is, that may or may not work, sure.
0: What about just, so kind of along the lines of setting goals, do you have any general guidelines on just kind of how to maintain overall health and mental health during this time? I think setting goals or having some positive focus can sure be helpful. Any other specific recommendations?
2: Yeah, um, I think the just the basics, and sometimes I feel like they can't, said frequently enough um, stick to a routine and this is hard I think for a lot of parents who have more flexibility with work they're working from home and may or may not need to do certain things in certain times but, but stick to a regular bedtime and, and routine um, kids really really thrive on that the younger they are the more they do but, but even as adolescents and especially if you have a, a special needs child um, in your home when the routine is disrupted in any way, which of course it already is due to the pandemic and the um, social distancing, that really makes things a whole lot worse. Um, Get kids involved in day-to-day chores, meal preparation, meal planning, and then the exercise that we'd already talked about. The, The other thing is staying informed, but limiting news and not allowing kids certainly to listen to, watch TV shows or an endless news stream um, about some of the horrors that are occurring in other places. There have been some um, studies that you may have heard about that the, the trauma that occurs from just repeatedly watching media reports on things can be as damaging or more damaging than being exposed to an actual trauma. Yeah, staying staying in touch as much as possible with family members and with friends. This is this is something where I think a lot of kids who are on social media and who are playing games with their friends, maybe now's the time to say um, we'll relax our, our game times just a little bit. Maybe we don't stick to the two hours a day of screen time and we allow three hours or four, whatever seems to make sense. I'm certainly not in favor of kids being... On their devices for 10 12 hours a day, but if it's in service of staying in touch with friends and engaging with their friends that way, then that may be an okay thing. Um, whenever possible, give kids choices. So, going to the movies may not be a choice, going to visit your friend may not be a choice, but um, you could decide, give them the choice of what program they want to watch or what game the family gets to play. Again, it comes down to trying to focus on those things that you that you can control. Um, and some families I've when I've talked to uh, my patients and my kids, the families have actually said they enjoy having fewer scheduled activities, uh, compared to the runaround coming home, there's soccer, there's gymnastics, there's everything. And, and now, even though it's an incredibly anxiety provoking time, but there's so much more time to just breathe if you can be if you can be present in the moment and, and get your mind off worrying all the time. So some really good things can come of this time, provided that you're mindful about it and creative about this time.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. I think um, if you, like you said, if you can live in that moment and be be present when you're home with your family, you can um, hopefully develop bonds that maybe would have taken a lot more time to to occur just because we have that time and space right now to do that. How do we know if somebody is really struggling or if, if a kid is just, you know, we're really having a hard time? When is the right time to seek help? What's the threshold for that?
2: That's that's one of those questions where, as always, the answer, it, it depends. And what may be intolerable for one family is something that can easily be taken in the stride of another family who has way more resources. So the, the short answer to that question in my mind is always... Whenever your available resources outweigh the needs of your child, of your family, so um, and that may look very different in an intact family where both parents are employed and there are no financial concerns, compared to a family where where there are um, really financial stresses or or even abuse and substance abuse issues going on. So whenever it feels to you as a parent that you cannot cope any longer, then that's the time to get help. And what that help looks like might vary greatly. It may not be um, needing to see a psychiatrist or or even a, a therapist, but perhaps just reaching out to another trusted adult or person who can connect you to some resources might be all that it takes so I, I recommend um, if it's the child in particular that you're worried about, um, maybe starting with a trusted pediatrician or a, a trusted family medicine doctor and and connecting with that person saying, these are the things that I'm seeing. Do I have to worry about the fact that my, my child who was potty trained before is now having accidents? And they would likely say no, uh, just be patient and, Stay on a routine, and, and things will get back to normal eventually. Um, but if the say if the same person calls and says my my otherwise previously completely calm child is now having multiple tantrums during the day and is not sleeping at night or having horrible nightmares, then the response might be let's connect you with a counselor. Let's find somebody who can talk to you and uh, and help you um, get this child through it. Certainly, there are children who are at higher risk of um, developing more problems, and those are often the ones who already have underlying difficulties. So kids who have anxiety or depression had that before the pandemic started and are now much more prone to struggling more. Um, there's there's a lot of resources available. Again, starting with a healthcare professional is one way. There's also a first link. Um, which in our area um, is a great resource. And I find myself overwhelmed by how many resources and websites and apps and everything there is. So I think if there's one place that I would say would be a good place to start because it's easy to remember if you're in crisis, um, if there is a crisis, call two one one, which is the the first link number, and that is they are aware of all the um, resources in our area, much of all of North Dakota and much of Minnesota. That's a good place to start.
0: That's fantastic. I'll okay. include that in our show notes so we can make sure it's on our website and easy to find. But two one one is the number. Yep. I really like your. Statement. I, I don't think I've heard it said that way, just to seek help when the needs outweigh the resources. That's a nice, succinct way of um, helping people identify when that might need to occur.
2: Because that looks different for everybody. And just because the symptoms in any given child are may not be severe, if mom and dad are in a place where they cannot handle those symptoms, then we still need to find a way to help them. Right.
0: Good. Okay. Well...
2: Oh, actually, one more thing, um, which I should have put into when we were talking about how kids react differently at different ages. I just wanted to make sure to include that um, especially preschoolers, young kids around four, five, six, um, can sometimes have what we call magical thinking to where they might personally feel that they're responsible for something bad that happens because of something they did or didn't do. So if grandma suddenly gets sick, it must have been because they didn't wash their hands the last time they came home from the grocery store. And so trying to meet kids where they are and really trying to find out on a completely non-judgmental way where what their concerns are really about. And again, sitting with them and acknowledging them rather than saying, oh, that's just not true, Reassure them, but being aware that sometimes, especially those young kids, um, really can think that they're responsible for many things that that aren't, of course, the case. That concept of magical thinking is something to to keep in mind for parents.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's helpful. Yeah.
0: Well, any any final
2: thoughts or words of wisdom, Dr. Hanish? Yeah, I just really appreciate the two of you including me in this. Um, this is truly being isolated or sheltering in place with your family makes us um, appreciate how interconnected we are with our families as much as our communities, but we don't as adults perhaps have as much support with friends and, and neighbors as before. So we have to figure out a lot of things that are occurring with our kids um, by ourselves. And and as as again, providers for the adult population, considering and asking the questions about how is your family doing and how are your kids doing um, and offering some resources to them if there are difficulties is so important. And I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, we appreciate you being on here. It's, it's um, great and great information that you're providing for our listeners. So thank you. Thank you're you. Thank you.
1: Do we have a health pearl for today? I think it, along the lines of all the things we talked about, a couple of other uh, apps have been helpful for me and, and my children, and uh, in particular Headspace, which um, has helped us with kind of deep breathing, meditation, and kind of some some stories and music to get, um, get us calmed and, and ready for sleep.
0: Yeah. For my, I I like Headspace. And then for my two youngest, I use, um, it's actually a podcast called Away Island. Ah, like you're sighing. Ah, um, and they tell stories, very calm stories and talk about, you know, and the dragon took a deep breath in and then slowly released it. And kind of as they're telling the story, it helps kind of pull your child in to do the deep breathing and do the relaxation. And it's a great way to get them to slow down, too, before going to bed. So I'll post links for both of those um, in the show notes so you can find those. Are
1: there any others that you've really liked, Lindsay? I know a lot of uh, patients and colleagues who have also tried the Calm app, and I haven't done that one myself, but I hear it's very similar.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. And the other thing I've done, if I'm in a pinch or hurrying to find something, is just on YouTube find like a five minute bedtime
1: meditation, and those can be pretty pretty good too. There are many out there. Right, as as always, the I like to talk about the Peloton app, and it also has meditation. Yeah, Soda. and that app Soda. right Soda. now is available for free for
0: a 90-day right. trial. So I've, I've grabbed the app, and I've been using it a lot. I don't have the bike or the treadmill, but um, it's got some great features on it. So, yeah, it's Definitely. free at the moment. Check it out. yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, you can find all of our links that we've talked about today in our show notes for this episode. Our website is www.everythingdoc.com. If you have questions, feedback, or suggestions for other episodes, you can email us at mail at everythingdoc.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Stay well and have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.